Welcome to the Violet Rays. This is the voice of your host, Reshma Iafe, and I'm joined by John Clay. Hi, John. Hello, Reshma. How are you? Very well, very well, thank you. How are you? Excited and happy to be here. <laughs> Good. Good, I'm glad, because that fits in with the subject at hand, which is, of course, joy, J-O-Y, and some people might like to call that happiness. Um, I don't, I think they're different, but perhaps I won't go into that just yet, but I'm, I'm glad that you're happy to be here. I am joyful to be here and joined <laughs> by you and your presence, your, your wonderful presence. So thank you again. No worries. Okay. <laughs> so if we jump right in with perhaps um, a quote, if that's okay. Yeah. Right, excellent. So in November, I put a, an advert out on Twitter for inviting people to join me on an exploration of joy and that's obviously culminated into into this series of of events and output creative output that has sort of happened over the autumn and winter period it's now january and um one of the ones that's really stuck with me is uh from a friend of mine a good friend of mine in san francisco who who always takes part in in these explorations he's one a wonderful writer uh, David Booth. So he said, sorrow can either haunt me or manifest as a practice of honesty and a rich aspect of how I understand myself as a man, a husband, a brother, colleague, neighbor, and so on. More and more, I choose the latter. It's a holy practice, you know, something to get better at. That's the end of the quote. I really love that. Um, why indulge in, in sorrow um, within itself when you can use it as a practice that leads to something better? It's so revelatory and beautiful. Yeah. Yes, there's a lot there. I have to confess, I'm definitely one of those people that can get lost within the tones and ebbs and flows of a voice. And so sometimes I might need something to be repeated. So for anybody else out there who's like me, you may be clapping in joy now. If, if Reshma, if you, could, if you could read that quote again, if that's not too much labor for you. No, I'd, I'd enjoy that. <laughs> Go for it, yeah, yeah. Oh, on the joy train, drive the joy train, drive the joy train. Go. <laughs> Sorrow. Sorrow can either haunt me or manifest as a practice of honesty and a rich aspect of how I understand myself as a man, husband, brother, colleague, neighbor, and so on. More and more, I choose the latter. It's a holy practice, something to get better at. That's brilliant. I love the fact that it ends on the idea that you can self-improve, that there is no plateau of having understood a certain um, spiritual way of being that affects one's actions. So I appreciate that kind of uh, aspiration yeah yeah me too because he's really just on this sort of trajectory of of growth and um honesty with himself and others around him and i think it, it stems from a very interesting childhood i i imagine because 
the other thing that he actually um, contributed to that dialogue was um, was a short, a very short story, flash fiction, which he published on his blog, but but also um, nested it within the Twitter world under my original invitation, which um, which is very short. It's called it's um, well, let me read it very quickly. So it's when I was a kid, my brother and I would experience what we called hot face moments when we record against our wills, our humiliations, we would say to each other, I'm having one again, and say what the memory was, and in this way, cool each other down from such sudden fire. And that's the end. So it was called Hot Face Moments. And just the idea of he and his brother sharing their humiliations, just, just choosing to recall, you know, when you just get that sudden moment of recollection of a thing that, is so uncomfortable. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Wow, I, when did that come out? November 3rd, 2021. Okay. Yeah, so that's David Booth. Um, um, so that's when he tweeted it to me and he published it subsequently um, on his blog, his wonderful blog, Sacred Pedestrians, Sacred Pedestrians. So, um, that is David Booth, whose handle is David R. Booth 3. Yeah, definitely give him a shout out. Well done, Mr. Booth. Thank yes. you for contributing to our collective joy. <laughs> Excellent, <laughs> exactly. Thank you, David. Okay, so would you like to bring anything to the table at this moment, John? Um, at this moment, I'm thinking of a particular question which might actually throw it back to you again. Um, what would be your long-term ideas in making your life more joyful? And what short-term activities would be at this moment contributing to that? Ooh, <laughs> gosh, okay, okay. So they're, they're almost the same answer because it's about taking those small steps that lead to the pathways to the longer quest, you know, for me. And I hope there's consistency in that relationship. So um, a good friend of mine, Ashley, who I work with, she's a colleague and friend, and she brought to my attention when I told her about this, this, uh, this journey that, um, that I've been going on and sharing with you and other friends. Uh, she brought to my attention a study by psychiatrist, um, American psychiatrist, Robert Waldinger, might be Waldinger, Waldinger, I'm not sure. I've never heard it said, but I read the study and I, um, and I also checked out a couple of his talks. I've actually got no excuse as to why I can't pronounce his name because he must have introduced himself. I didn't pay attention, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, um, he is currently the director of uh, one of the longest studies on human happiness. Um, and I say he's currently the director because they've, they've been through quite a few because it's, like, it's uh, been going on for 75 years. And so he's the current director of it. And um, one, of the, one of the findings, which I feel I already knew, but this has really confirmed it for me and made sure that I have those baby steps in place to answer the, the latter part of the question. This is what I'm doing right now. And it leads to the longer quest, which is to have better relationships with other people. Now, 
I know we can all we can all wish for this and we can all almost claim that we're doing this. Some of us do. Some of us could, might admit that we have terrible relationships, but um, no matter how terrible some of my relationships are, I still insist within myself that I have good, deep and meaningful connections with my loved ones, with my friends, with my community. But, um, you know, but they, some people who know me might turn around and say, well, actually, no, you're awful at communication and uh, uh, you're hard to reach. Sometimes I can't find you or, you know, whatever it is. And so I realised the, the importance of those connections because in a 75-year study, that's what they have found, that the more deeper connections you have with other human beings, the healthier you will be, the happier you will be. And um, as I say, it may sound obvious, but some of their findings are actually quite astounding in that people could suffer from quite ill health or acute pain and still actually identify as being happy if they are happy in their relationships. And that doesn't mean um, a lack of conflict. That's not what it is, because you can have, you, you can, I, I, to quote him, you can live in the midst of conflict and still have warmth and connection and knowing you can rely on your loved ones. You know, that might be because there's resolution in your conflict, that might be because there's trust or humor or whatever it is, you're safe and you feel protected within those relationships. So that's what I, I want to more actively engage in and nurture currently. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> I, I, oh. no, seriously, yeah, like, uh, I think we all know it on a very deep instinctive level, but that study that was carried across, what, 75 years, you're saying? And, that, go, and, and still going, yes. And still ongoing, that finds that there is a connection between health and deeper relationships. That's something that I'm sure we all know. Um, and unfortunately, I do feel that we are mostly in this really strange time where it's very easy to compartmentalize our lives. Um, I wanted to take us down the route that would be, if we we're going to give it a bracket or a heading, it would be joy through consumption. Mm. <laughs> so I'm sure that we've all at some point had a really bad moment or day, and we will convince ourselves that if we consume something, it will make us happier, right? Now, it could be something that you put together as a meal, it could be something that you buy via Amazon. <laughs> it could be something that you imbibe via your televisual units. <laughs> There's all sorts of ways that you can try and find happiness through consuming something. And I'm not saying that these things are inherently wrong. But if we overestimate how much happiness we can get out of that particular way of being, I think it can stop us from truly investigating what could be the problem, let alone the relationship that may be um, in need of repair or truth. So that would be uh, an area that I'd like to investigate. Is there anything you would like to ask or, or have gained from what I have just said? <laughs> yes, well, you, you spoke in very general terms, which is not like you. You know, and um, I hear you in everything you said, but I would like you to 
be more specific. Uh, yeah, per- maybe, <laughs> maybe personalize this investigation, perhaps. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Um, I watched a really, really good episode, or rather live streaming from Navarra Media's uh, main correspondent, Michael Walker, and he was talking to Aaron Bastani. Um, and Aaron Bastani is an author. He was saying that essentially, when we're looking at the ecological crisis that we are in the midst of, not that it's something that's far away that might or might not happen, but we're in the midst of, for us to transform um, our relationship to the planet means transforming our relationship to what we consume. Because ultimately, if you have somebody who lives a mile away from their children's school, but is justified to themselves in their head that having a giant SUV to take them there, (laughs) then they have a relationship to that particular type of consumption, which seems to trump any particular relationship to the planet. Now, obviously, and maybe not obvious for some, the chief antagonisms towards this planet are industry. And there's only so much that we can do on an individual level regarding that particular um, crisis. However, if we are not addressing our individual relationships to consumerism, to get to that joyful place, to get to that happy place, that place where we think that we ought to be, then how much will we affect our political activity or leanings or even what we're passing down as a way of being to the, towards those children who you are driving to school in that way. Um, but yes, this is my next step towards that way of dealing with this conversation about joy. How do you feel about this? Yeah, that's, um, that was a very interesting few statements and quotes there, none of which had anything to do with you. <laughs> so I, I feel like there's some avoidance tactics going on here am I correct not quite um simply because if you were to rewind even like five years ago um I was not aware of my own relationship uh to consumerism in the way that I am now to use these other examples which may seemingly be removed from myself it's only because I've been aware of this, that I can call upon these um, quotations or anecdotes or even studies um, as a way of knowing that in myself there's been a change. Um, If you're looking for something far more personable in terms of the idea of consumption, um, it it may almost come across as very bougie as the as the statement uh, is normally um, colloquialized, it may be a bit bourgeois, but I haven't bought any McDonald's since 2007. (laughs) (laughs) So if you want personal, if you want to know how I've stopped myself from being part of that, there is that. But I have to say um, a caveat in that that is only a statement about how it makes me happy. It's not necessarily solving the wider circumference of the issue, you know, to truly do that would be to, as I said, have more um, awareness politically and to, to inspire that with others whenever you can. So there you go, that's your answer. Okay, but then the question now is, prior to 2007, did mm. McDonald's bring you joy? 
McDonald's is interesting because it's the treat that you're given when you're like five or six, right? Hey, have this. You've been good today. You can have this. Or, or if you're not good, if you don't put your shoes back where I said they have to be, then you're not going to get the Big Mac later. Now, that's something that we give our kids because, you know, you want to give your kid the idea that they're going to get a treat and you teach them this because you may have had it done to you when you were younger or you are very aware that in their head, everyone else is having this, you know. I mean, do you remember when McDonald's was um, uh, stopped from advertising towards children? Um, they can still do movie deal tie-ins with their, um, what do you call it, their Happy Meals, which is another way of them cir circumnavigating this idea, but they had to stop advertising towards children because what they create, their product, well, it's not particularly nutritious. <laughs> um, but the reasoning behind me answering you in this way, you're saying there's the time that McDonald's made me happy. It was only through the conditioning of it being in my life and in other people's lives that I accepted it for what I was supposed to think it was. But you question stuff as you get older. And the trick is at some point, do you do something about what you have learned or do you literally be cipher from the matrix and keep on having that stake? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Because it's just as you spoke about McDonald's, I remembered Ronald McDonald and how joyful his face was. Obviously, he was a clown, but you know, um, nowadays, obviously, when we say clown, we think more of the dude from it who's not so joyful. You know, but, you know, but I Use do the anti joy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look out! <laughs> it's the anti joy. <laughs> Stone him. <laughs> but I do remember as a child, even though I didn't consume meat, I don't consume meat. But I do recall Ronald McDonald making me feel happy whenever I did see his picture or or his image or an advert or something. He he was very, very happy. So yes, of course, marketing to children, the idea that joy can be found in a happy meal. Oh, it's called a happy meal. So it will <laughs> <laughs> This is a whole new discovery. This is a, yeah. This, it's become this is... a series now. <laughs> it's not just about joy. It's about the subliminal <laughs> advertising in happy meals. <laughs> no, no, this is, yeah, you know, this, this is the perfect time to actually then talk about the definitions, which I did say I'd bring up later, the difference between joy and happiness. It is just semantics, of course, but when we have feet, we have real meaning and feeling and deeper connections attached to words, then they become a thing, they become a real thing. So that's why to me, uh, definition always matters. And we quite often open with the definitions of words that are connected to what we're going to discuss. I'm very glad we didn't do that at the beginning this time, because that's probably where where, where at least I lose a lot of my, my audience because I spent, <laughs> I spent the first, first 20 minutes defining what I'm going to talk about. So, so here's the bit. And if you don't want this, fast forward five minutes. So hopefully five minutes. So uh, for me, uh, joy is about um, inner peace because I feel that we ought to strive to feel um, a joy that's not attached to other things. So that sort of falls in line with what you're saying about consumerism as a spiritual practice, 
um, sort of more in line with with David Booth now, I do feel that it's uh, it's something I should be working on from within myself and maintaining, you know, as the you know the truism of the constant gardener, and it should actually not waver depending on my environment, circumstances, people, so on and so forth. Whereas happiness now, I think, is actually uh, possibly more dependent on outside influences. Uh, these are just this is just how I compute these words. So I'll tend to not use the word happiness often, like oh, you know, I, I feel happy or I'm happy today, or are you happy? These aren't things I would normally say. Um, whereas the word joy comes up a lot. Now, my initial invitation to my friends to join into this, this to, to tap into this discussion and, and join me in this exploration. I named it fleeting joys. And I named it that at the time because for me, that's happiness. Happiness is a fleeting joy. And the whole point of the exploration was to find that constant, consistent spiritual joy. How do you feel about that? Wonderfully put, um, very succinct. I think if people have fast forwarded five minutes, they may have gone a bit too far because you did so much in such a short amount of time. So, well done. There, <laughs> no, 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 it's true. I think um, it's very possible that we can overestimate people's understanding of our own particular uh, experience of happiness and, and joy, because they are two separate things. So it's good to talk about these things and have a certain amount of clarity, um, you know, another, bobbing uh, valuable uh, uh, raft of uh, clarity. So thank you. You're very welcome. And I'm going to, to try and uh, get you to, to, to sort of personalize some things again. I, I might fail again, but I'm going to try. <laughs> you make it sound like we're verbally wrestling. Ask me a direct question, you will get a direct answer. Oh, I actually thought I did. Um, you got many. That, you got many answers. Maybe they just weren't the one that you wanted. <laughs> I just want something more confessional. I think. Um, uh, yeah. So, uh, one of the uh, one of the friends I have from India who contributed on Twitter talked about her art. She said that um, she's un she's unfortunately uh, falling into this category of artists who rely on sorrow and feelings of melancholy to quote her in order to create. And um, she feels that that's a shame, uh, but she admits that. And uh, I just wondered what you, what you feel about that. And are you similar? Sorry, can you repeat that? You're saying that she relies, or she's had enough of seeing artists who rely on a certain particular mood, i.e. sorrow, to create. Is that what it is? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, I suppose it can become very dull if they're only going to use one particular aspect of their experience, but it depends on their talent. You know, I mean, if you look at, say, Ian Curtis or Kurt Cobain, um, a lot of what they would actually propose as being something they wanted to share with the world wasn't coming from the best happy place, right? Um, but then again, work post Cobain, post um, Ian Curtis, particularly the music, 
can often be derivative of those particular ideas because it has a value, because it's become a commodity. Um, if you wish, um, just because I do feel that I would be in some way um, not fulfilling my contract, I can be confessional about a very simple question that I can ask myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that sounds like fun. Go on. What fills me with joy? Oh. John? Yes. What fills you with joy? Oh, I'm glad you asked that, Leshman. So, this is the <laughs> thing. Um, I think that ultimately it's not enough for me to be happy or joyful, because even though they are distinctly different things, as you pointed out before, I don't think that I can get to either of those heights on my own. And so I do believe that having an ideological understanding which is congruent to um, my being joyful is very useful. That obviously will come from relationships, friendships, um, workmates, teammates. Uh, when I was a fundraiser for 11 and a bit years, I found the best moments of that time well, when we were all moving towards a certain goal together with all our different skills and personalities. And despite all the frictions and all the transgressions that were visited upon me or I would visit upon others, ultimately there was a certain understanding that there was a certain amount of trust. Um, and you can only truly gain, I think, happiness or joy from trust. And um, if there's one thing that the the pandemic has taught me is that when you're in a very dire situation without that amount of trust everything else becomes like drawing blood out of stone and it's it's something that i hope that once once we find ourselves either via the wants of certain politicians or capitalist society to to say that hey we're out of covid um as the uh my 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 visits to the job center have taught me and I'm saying, hey, I'm a filmmaker, please leave me alone. <laughs> I, I hope that as we make that move forward, that we take information from this time and don't think that it was just something that we used to get through a bad point, but can help us elevate towards a joyful state. So what makes me happy is just a shared ideology between myself and those around me. Okay. All right, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Can I offer a caveat as well? You can. Okay. Life is always going to offer you circumstances where you don't necessarily have the same ideology as someone else. But that means even if you don't have that ideology, there must be an underlying amount of understanding as to what civility can offer any particular interaction. If there is no civility even between people that don't have the same ideology then what hope is there to really truly you know make this a more progressive society um yeah yeah there, there you go yes yeah that's beautiful thank you john i i think um uh, that that does connect us back also to to Targra and what she's saying uh within how artists can connect with each other and their communities through pain as well and find that 
that connection, which then would bring us back to joy. So it's almost, you know, cyclical perhaps even. But um, I did want to bring it back to that because you as an artist, as you've just said, I mean, you've had these experiences which are both negative and positive, you know, oh, those terrible terms, aren't they? You've had these experiences that are difficult within the pandemic, as has, have we all, but as an artist specifically, um, some things that have happened could be soul destroying, you know, not being able to earn, not being able to commune, not being able to be with teams and being in an art form that requires a team, a crew of people. Um, it's actually, it's, it's life-changing and can be destructive. And of course, you've come through that. Not everybody has successfully, you know, ride, ridden that wave. Oh, it's, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I think it has to be said, um, if you permit me to interject very quickly, that whenever people do read or see an interview where filmmakers or, or the artists who are going to deliver those stories through their characters, whenever they talk about those occasions when they're on set and it feels like a family, it might seem like it's just something that they're trotting out. But I can only again draw upon my own personal experience in that we seek out these um, connections because we may be compensating for what we have lost or perhaps never truly had through those teams, you know? And so anything that can truly threaten that or make it stronger is something that we will definitely hone in on and try to, you know, investigate so that we can make sure that we can achieve that original goal together. So yeah, like being a filmmaker, being part of that crew is something that um, has been very fleeting over the nearly the last two years. Um, but it's, it does give me joy, it gives me extreme joy. And then, so do you function better as an artist when you are in that extreme joy? Or are you also able to function in, you know, within melancholy? Do you function better within melancholy? I'm not sure, because this is where your earlier statement about generalism and me becomes applicable, Reshma. <laughs> mm, yeah. um, I, I don't feel comfortable itemizing things quite like that, simply because I can look at a, because I'm also a musician, um, I can look at a song that I've written when I was 16 and still, you know, practice and perform now and get immense joy out of it even though I'm essentially singing about having a really bad trip and wanting my girlfriend to be there. <laughs> so it, it all becomes um, a bit of a mix, you know? It's, it's not like, say, the yin and yang sign. It's not like, say, ink or oil and water. It just becomes this big mix. Do I function better within being miserable? Do I function better between being happy? It truly depends on what the piece is that I'm trying to sculpt. Okay, all right, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I can see how that could be the case. And it's probably the case with many artists. Um, I, I actually think that the art that comes out of struggle is, um, is given way too much weight and um, attention in this world. Uh, the idea that almost, you know, to be 
to be happy and to produce is not such a good thing or like people didn't produce their best work at a time when they were happy or at peace. I don't know how I feel about that, <laughs> you know, because we're encouraging each other to, you know, to, to sort of, to be miserable. Now, if it was, you know, this is, this is within the community of artists, I mean, if we didn't celebrate the arts that came out of struggle, that wouldn't be good either. Of course, I'm not saying that, let's only celebrate the art that comes out of joy. But what I am saying is that we don't need to, to place that, that sort of art, the, the, the art of, the, of misery on the pedestal that we do, because I think that's also not healthy and that's, that's quite dysfunctional. But if you're looking at the, the entire journey of, of peace through struggle and the fleeting joys that visit us here and there, and we're acknowledging that entire spectrum, that's something entirely different, which I think any real, uh, a true commentator of, of, of humanity and the arts that come out for, of the human condition would do, then I would feel that's an authentic, you know, application to, to, to that dialogue, if you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah? Very much so. Good. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to add that. And sorry, just one more time. So uh, Tagra, who is, uh, her, her handle is at cinnamon underscore poet on Twitter. So I thank you for your contribution, Tagra. Okay, someone else, I, I, so moving on, there's someone else I want to look at who, who contributed to the conversation with something quite interesting also, was uh, fleeting joys looked at as moments of, competition or intense um, excitement. Uh, have you got anything you'd like to say about that that jumps out immediately before I go into quoting this person? Um, something that you said regarding competition might be something that I could, but it's a bigger subject, just so I'm sure, because um, unfortunately you've been blessed with one of those voices where I can get lost in the sounds. Can you tell me again? quite what you said, just so I know I'm not going completely left field with this. That's quite funny you say left field. Um, is, is, that a, is that connected to American football? Let's hope so. Okay, no, because, because I'm, quoting, I'm quoting at Fluid Hips and Fluid, <laughs> at Fluid Hips is the, you know, the haiku evangelist. And in the, the last episode, he talked about his name and, um, and Fluid Hips and it's to do with a quarterback. But anyway, check that episode out. Um, so that's interesting. I'm quoting him. So he's talking about chess and competition. I'll just read it because then I put it into context. Yeah. Okay, so he wrote, as you claw your way to victory in blitz chess, the buts and the what ifs creep in early. Your opponent had a bad connection. Your opponent would have beaten you in a classical format. Your opponent is literally a child. So you seek out the next match and the next fleeting validation. So from that, I derived that he he enjoys competition or the, the protagonist of this flash fiction enjoys competition yes. and that, yes, and that heart racing and that, that you know, the, he's seeking joy through validation because he wants to win, you know, and, um, and that's interesting as well. What, yeah, so does, is that what you thought it was and what do you think? Um, yeah, so seeking validation through winning 
it depends upon who is playing the game with you. Because if you're seeking that validation, you occupying the space of winner and someone occupying the space of loser, <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you're playing the game with someone who's happy to be a good loser. If, however, you are playing a competition uh, or you're or in the competition with someone who doesn't appreciate the lessons that losing can give, then things are going to be quite problematic, um, which is why, if possible, in my own personal seeking of joy, I try to have competition with myself. I don't mind losing to myself because essentially I get to learn from it in a way where I can move forward quite easily. The situations where I've been in competition with other people, um, they haven't always been negative, but the ones that have been negative have been very uh, problematic for the relationship going forward because they may not necessarily want to forget that they lost to me. And so they'll try and win in other ways, <laughs> which can exhibit a certain amount of childishness. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I'm quite picky when it comes to certain friendships. But yeah, that is what his chess haiku has done for me today in your podcast. I see. I see. It wasn't haiku, though. It Just so you know, it oh, was. Oh, sorry. The, yes. It was a short flash fiction. Yes, yes. Good. Just checking because he is the haiku evangelist. I can see where the confusion came in or the uh, the slip of the tongue. I'd like to quote you, although I, I looked it up. It's actually it's, it says Google says it's actually Theodore Roosevelt that said it originally. But when you said it to me, I just thought, oh, wow, that's amazing. I'd like to end on that if it's not too sudden an ending. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll quote it and then we can talk about it and then end. Sorry, I'm not just going to say goodbye. Okay. Well, my, myself and all the people that are listening to you are shocked that this this is this is coming to an end <laughs> Only because, because we're you... having we're having such a good time <laughs> well this is the problem and that's why a lot of our conversations go on for an hour and we kind of agreed we we're going to try and stick to under half an hour oh yeah you're right yeah 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 definitely yeah. like you know we'll we'll both get joy out of sticking to that I'm just lamenting <laughs> yeah, 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 what could you. have been. <laughs> what could have been, yeah, definitely. We could, we could stop recording and just carry on talking, but... We will. Uh, yeah, for the, for, <laughs> I think in future we should also get one of those um, stop, stop clocks for, that would help us. Anyway, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the quote is, comparison is the thief of joy. Ah. Oh. Yeah, do you remember saying that to me? I think it was yesterday or the day before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't mine. I, I wasn't sure where it came from, but it's definitely one of my favorite quotes to the point where I think I've stopped giving the person who quoted it their, their due time in the sun. <laughs> well, I, I think Roosevelt saw a lot of sun. Don't worry. He had his time. <laughs> and, and I think he was actually quoting Corinthians Bible, possibly. Um, but who knows? Maybe if someone listening does know, they can tell us um and start a great conversation about comparison being the thief of joy the end <laughs> <laughs> this has been great i want to do this again sometime i've had a good time i hope you've all had a good time there were no prizes given out on this show <laughs> because that's just how it rolls yeah <laughs> you don't have to be having a prize to be happy that's the thing yes so I think in the next episode on the series of joy we should talk about reward 
and joy and go on from there because there's so much more to be said and I look forward to doing that hopefully in the not too distant future thank you for joining me John no problem thank you for having me this has been exponentially exciting <laughs> you're welcome you're welcome <laughs> peace and love to you and all <laughs>